I'm Lonnie Hirsch, co-founder of Healthcare Success Strategies, and our guest today is Eula McKinney, Director of Ancillary Clinical Services Outreach Development at UCSF Medical Center in San Francisco. Eula, welcome and thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Can you start by commenting for us on the trend that we see toward more vertical integration between the hospital, its service lines, and even the medical groups that are increasingly part of the hospital or health system offering? Absolutely. So the trend towards this vertical integration through a service line approach is actually an increasing uh, dire importance as hospitals are being challenged with remaining competitive with high quality and efficiencies that would result in lower costs of clinical care delivery. So California payers are losing market share to integrated delivery systems such as Kaiser because there's mm-hmm. alignment amongst all stakeholders. Utah, for example, Intermountain Healthcare owns hospitals, clinics, and even hospices. Kaiser Permanente, which I mentioned, offers integrated services in an, as an HMO, and the results are demonstrated by them capturing more market share. There are, few, there are a few variables that actually affect this, and one is the fact that payers attempt to manage their plan costs, which are, um, I understand to be nationally up by 5%, to remain competitive so that they could pass on lower premiums to the employers. The employer groups are trying to manage their expenses, and some are shifting their costs to consumers in a cost-sharing or moving more employees into cheaper consumer-directed health plans. And the latter is increasing consumer awareness and their sensitivity to pricing. So in order for hospitals to remain competitive, service lines will need to be responsible for resource utilization, which is driven by efficient operations. They also have to take a look at things from a population health perspective because payers are rewarding their employees for wellness, and we have to align ourselves accordingly. We have to shift away from the historic hospital model of catastrophic care, which requires service lines to now start addressing the delivery of care across the full continuum and this is obviously attainable through vertical integration so that as we're addressing perhaps throughput on the inpatient, we're not compromising even our bottom lines because we're looking at ways to grow strategically. And it does require now from us as service line leaders to not just understand the operational component but also the cost structure, the revenue structure that, that affects the respective clinical expertise. And then also to understand our market demands and ensure that we integrate from every perspective the medical group the patient's needs, and the medical center's needs. And it's really vertical integration, which involves a patient pathway and treats the patient according to the medical conditions that's going to transcend the organizational boundaries and start to connect the community-based generalists with our hospitals and ensure that we have a true vertical integration. And actually, we're at a point now where we actually need horizontal integration as well, which obviously involves peer-based and cross-sectoral collaboration to improve the overall health and we're starting to see effective mechanisms now to permit actually ongoing dialogue between the vertical and the horizontal dimensions to ensure that we're maximizing our contributions from each expertise. Well, you know, it's interesting uh, what you said about the cost, efe- uh, cost efficiencies because uh, we notice that payers are actually increasingly creating their own provider networks. So in, in this rapidly evolving environment, how... Um, can hospitals be more cost-effective while still protecting market share in the face of increasing competition? Well, I would say from a, an operational perspective, having been in operations for some time, the resources in healthcare need to move away from a silo perspective to true integration. 
So whereas in years prior, we could afford to have an operations manager not be trained and be responsible for strategy and operations and financial functions, today's economy is requiring for us to have the high cost of FTEs, which are contributing to those high overall costs for that are being passed on to the payers, to actually tap into having uh, some of the dynamic workforce in our industry and from other industries coming in to manage the talent and ensure that we can manage the expertise of those in each of those aforementioned functions. And so with having someone who has all these components, it essentially allows them to integrate all aspects when decision-making is happening. And this service line approach, it needs to be coupled with a level of accountability for all parties within each of the functions for operational, clinical, and financial outcomes for the patient population. And that's common in most other industries. And interestingly enough, it's only of late where we in healthcare have had to really be responsible from all aspects for accountability in these areas, which now needs to be translated to all employees, staff, and managers in order for us to strive for the completion. We've seen it to be successful in Intermountain Health, and organizations such as UCSF within the last two years have started to have outcomes-based accountability for management, and it's providing more information from the front lines as to what we can do to manage costs and cutting out some of the fat and being able to maximize economies of scale with FTEs or incumbents in roles that understand more functions than just operations allows us to scale down in terms of how many resources we need in the expertise for the various silos, whether it's in decision support, finance, in the clinical or operational areas, or ambulatory care. Well, that's very interesting because I'd also like to know where you see the role of uh, physician involvement in this integration strategy uh, going forward? Mm, very good question. I'll start with saying that according to uh, Association of American Medical Colleges, that there's been an increase of dual degrees from MDMBAs, about 36% from 2002 to 2011. So as we're seeing an increase in demand for MDMBAs, we're also seeing more programs developing and training physicians to be able to understand things they've never had to know about, cost sensitivities. There are a lot of changes that are going on in healthcare right now that they need to know. And the way that I see us as an organization tapping into their expertise is that they're the delivery of the clinical model. They are able to see specifically where there's waste and how to ensure that we don't have any clinical compromise for the patient population as we look to cut costs or drive efficiencies. The importance of a physician involvement can be demonstrated um, through looking at the historical challenges that we've had. We've had high cost delivery systems, redundancies. We don't have, uh, we haven't done well in our industry for ensuring that we provide the most efficient throughput for the patient. There's not a communication amongst various providers. Now we have electronic healthcare, and that's helping. But having the physicians at the table as strategies are being developed helps close that gap. So we understand clinically if we're uh, devising a a respective strategy that we're not going to uh, risk the quality of outcomes for that patient. And then the physicians who deliver the care can then get access to information or data um, that's available and guide us in terms of administration as to what's helpful for making informed decisions. Historically, that information has not been made available to our physicians. When I've seen that in my organization, I've brought that information to my surgeons, they're able to then make informed decisions as well as guide me as an administrator as to where the cost savings can be derived. And I think that's extremely important in terms of being able to put the patient at the forefront of the priorities and the subsequent uh, clinical care that ensures that they are uh, put as with the, given with the best outcomes possible clinically. Okay, well, that leads me to a slightly different question. 
how does the coordination of clinical care tie in with the hospital marketing strategy? Uh, I mean, what do you see as the evolving role, for example, of the service line leaders in the marketing strategy for their service lines in light of the comments you were making about the silo concept? Well, the silo concept is one aspect. The other component is that the hospital marketing strategy now needs to take into account preventative, acute, but also now post-acute organizations because we as an organization industry are now responsible for the full continuum of the actual clinical care. So the coordination entails all components. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I see service line um, leaders needing to do now is to reassure the patients of excellence across that full continuum of care. Like I mentioned earlier, EHRs have been useful for our industry. And now patients want to have access to clinical outcomes through applications on a PDA or online that allows a patient to contribute to the management of their care. We also now have to step into things such as health screening, which allows patients to conveniently and proactively screen for wellness. And then hospitals who market these services to employer-sponsored groups provide an advantage that prioritizes wellness and an entree with patients that, if managed well, can lead to loyalty and shift those patients away from just a transactional encounter to a relationship-based patient. And the role of the service line leader is to begin the marketing in alignment with what's best for the patient through the preventative care. And this also aligns with a shift in our industry that would also build for trust for later clinical needs. And as patients are more active these days, there's natural degeneration, and then there's unforeseen catastrophic care. So shifting from an acute clinical care to a wellness approach also shifts the high costs which are incurred during the inpatient or acute settings to lower cost settings. So we're starting to see a rise in medical homes, being able to market that. But also, we also need to emphasize preventative measures such as exercise, nutrition, weight management, stress management, smoking cessation, heart health lifestyle. We need to start marketing from a perspective similar to what we've seen Kaiser have been doing for the last eight or so years. Well, with all those payments also that are increasingly being tied to the wellness and the preventive services, how do you see the service lines needing to adapt in their communication strategy about wellness and and preventive care? That's a good question. Here in California, we have an excellent model of the Thrive campaign by Kaiser, the green, Mm -hmm. which reminds us of just even the foods that we need to be eating by way of nutrition. We need to do things that I've seen Kaiser do effectively, reminder emails to patients about preventative care, applications that manage high risk factors on the iPhone, having access to that, educating and rewarding our consumers or our patients for preventative measures. We need to change our business model, shifting away from catastrophic care to considering how do we keep patients well and out of the hospitals and then our financial models need to adjust accordingly. So there will be a different spend occurring up front in terms of things that would help the patient to stay in their best state as opposed to subsequent when the patient is in-house and has to be in an ICU because we haven't done preventative things prior to a heart attack or we haven't done what we needed to do to ensure that the patient recognizes that they have symptoms for an aneurysm prior to the aneurysm erupting. So those are some of the shift in in, in information and education we need to do for the patients to ensure that they really are uh, considered uh, the priority. And because we're seeing a shift in the payments, the things that we were not reimbursed for before as hospitals, it will have a lower reimbursement rate. We understand that spine surgery is $40,000 reimbursement for uh, a fusion versus having a patient go do physical therapy, you would get small dollars on the front end, but you also shift your cost to a lower cost structure. So then as a result, your margins are going to be affected, but not to the same extent as if you have all your costs being incurred in static 
um, fixed costs within the within the hospital. Okay, so then it sounds like uh, there's going to be an increasing need for um, capturing uh, meaningful data from the clinician uh, in terms of their interaction with the end user patient, um, in in how that would uh, drive change in both operations and in communications. Uh, so, how do you see that happening? That's, that's actually uh, at least very at, true. At you at your organization. That's true. First of all, we need to ensure that the medical group is aligned and desires to participate in the needed changes. We keep hearing about conferences about physician alignment, and that's because we haven't really driven it to a place where it's actually part of our industry and integrated in fully. All too often, I hear punitive approaches which are antithetical to change management and increasing the alignment between the physician's medical group and the medical center. I have found that educating providers about the big picture and tying in their perspective allows us to approach this form from a dyad perspective. As with anyone, when we understand how something can affect us, we're much more invested in improving and providing our recommendations. And that's what I found with my physicians. My most meaningful leads for cost containment have been secured from covering the national trends, providing that information to the physicians, and then giving them information about the organization as a whole and the direction we're taking, and then drilling down to the respective clinical departments, as well as how it affects them as an individual provider. The quid pro quo I get in return is that then they are very incented to want to share with me what things we could do to drive home some of the improvements in costs. I think historically they've been immune to or impugned to some of the financial challenges because they haven't been aware of how it affects them. So if the medical center incurs their losses, it's that's their issue. They haven't necessarily have seen, haven't seen the fact that one day there will be bundled payment and there will be one payment across the board between medical group and medical center, and the downstream effect will be that there will be a compromise from both ends. So some of this is helping them to understand what is already underway that is happening to our industry so they can understand contextually why it's important for us to integrate. The other thing I've brought to their attention in terms of ensuring that we get meaningful data it's helping them understand how they need to drive the changes clinically as a clinician that need to happen nationally. And the only way they'll get, increase that credibility is to remain viable and sustainable. So part of that is being able to take their expertise and show them how they can contribute so it could be me as a resource helping them to provide the information they need to make informed decisions. There's a lot of data out there, and what I've learned in time working with my surgeons is that oftentimes the data administration looks at means nothing to an end surgeon. The way it's cut, the, date, the, the, the variables, the categories that are created doesn't translate well. So they've educated me with what it takes to be able to provide something that would be of use to them as I've educated them about what the overall impact would be for their patient population. Well, Eula, thank you so much for your time and your valuable insights today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Lonnie. This was great.